Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Uh, you're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3 Triple R. We are the program about all things wet and salty. And uh, good morning. My name's Bron Burton. And oh, I'm the cabin boy. Hey, cabin boy. It's hard to refer to yourself in the third person. It's a bit weird, but yeah, <laughs> managed to do it. Hey, uh, it's been a long week. Oh, my God. Social media, there's been back and forths all over five minutes. <laughs> if you're wondering what we're talking about, um, last week we were very excited about the uh, Community Cup, which was played last Sunday afternoon. And if you've been listening to Triple R and PBS, I've um, listened to a few of the Megahertz players, their shows on PBS during the week as well. There's been much celebration in the Megahertz camp. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit this morning. Not mm-hmm. too much, don't worry. Um, but before we do that, thank you very much to Tim for for uh, another six hours of Vital Bits and Andrew for Soulful Bits, Edith for Things to Do Today and, um, yes, great program. As always, Tim, two great programs. You can catch him next Saturday and Sunday for more Vital Bits. Um, Shall we talk a little bit about the Community Cup and then get into the show? I suppose we better. It's the elephant in the room. We better get it out of the way because I still have my scarf on. You do. You do. So, uh, yeah, uh, if you're wondering what happened, maybe, you know, you might just be listening to the show because you you like all the marine talk that we do every week. Yes. And uh, maybe you're not sure what happened, but um, it was, uh, oh, look, it was a great day, Community Cup. As Most usual. importantly, raising money for RecLink. I don't. I didn't actually see what the final amount was, but it's always around the two hundred thousand mark, and and that's the bottom line, isn't it? It is. People just having fun and raising money for RecLink, which happened. So yeah. So whatever happened at the end, we don't care. Yeah. So uh, so what actually did happen at the end? And I'm going to kind of frame this by saying. It's not the first time there's been a controversial end no. to a community cup. It's happened. You know, I've been involved in. Well, I've just. I said last week, my son's just turned eighteen, and I've. My first time was when he was a you know a six week old baby yeah. shaking the tin on the gate. So I've been involved in eighteen of these things, or minus a couple of years with COVID. Yep. But um, yeah, there've been plenty of you know controversial ends and goals not counted on the scoreboard and clocks that have gone longer than they should have. And in this case, for this year, the clock kind of the, the siren end, the siren went about five minutes roughly before people were expecting it, and uh, a very narrow three point win to the megahertz, which we claim. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and I'm proud about it. I know. So, yeah. so let's move on and get in, yeah, get ready for next year. Yeah, get ready for next That's year. It. That's it. It's going to be a big community cup <laughs> next year, of course, because the Rock Dogs. And commiserations to them as well because, yeah. you know, no, nobody likes to have an end the way that it did when you're on the other side. So I do. my heart does go out to the Rock Dogs. And they did put their heart and soul into training and getting organised. So, oh, yeah, everything, yeah. all the behind-the-scenes stuff, you know, their cheer squad. It's, yep. it's all of the gigs that happen in the lead up to the cup. So, And even on the day, the risk of injury and throwing their bodies around. Exactly. So, yeah. so hearts go out to the Rock Dogs and looking forward to 20. Bring on 2024, <laughs> looking forward to it already. <laughs> All right, today's program. Um, you're kicking us off, Cabin Boy. I am. I'm going to talk about foiling. It seems to be the new thing. Kind of started with the um, America's Cup with the big boats perched up on f- uh, foils. So they look like kind of some pond skimming uh, insects. So we'll, we'll have a chat about that in, in the Cabin Boy Diaries. Excellent. We are then going to cross to Flinders Pier where our dive reporter, Myra Kelly, is going to be speaking with us. She's waiting down there already. She's already sent a photo through. She's going to be talking about um, some diving that her partner did yesterday um, on one of the back beaches, which is... 
Oh, that's well, yeah, that's yeah, uh, winter, risky. winter back. Well, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, at the very least, it's, it would have been very cold. So she'll talk about um, back beach diving in winter, um, but also give a big profile to artist Vera Merler, who's got an exhibition on at the Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery. And I've seen some photos that looks absolutely stunning. Myra put together a little video piece, which we'll try and get on our Facebook page too. Cool. So that's pretty cool. Um, we are then going to be speaking with Rebecca Olive and Fiona Hillary from RMIT, who I believe have just joined us and are waiting in the green room. They're going to be coming in and talking about a, a one-night-only event called Everyday Oceans Surfing, Swimming and Gardening. And it um, looks like an incredible, I've had a look at the lineup, evening of short films about largely about the Great Southern Ocean. Um, so that's happening this Thursday, 29th of June at the Capitol Theatre. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk with them about that evening and, and how they've sort of put this thing together, how they've curated the evening, because it, it looks really looks special. Good, yeah. yeah. And then to close the show, we're going to cross to Hobart and speak with Antarctic campaigner Alistair Allen. Um, Alistair is from the Bob uh, Bob Brown Foundation, and he's going to be talking about a recent announcement that was made by um, Minister Tanya Plibersek on World Environment Day to expand the Macquarie Island Marine Park, which sounds really great in theory. Yep. There's a bit of a catch, so oh, okay. we're going to talk to Alistair about that and why, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's It looks great on paper, but... There's always a bloody catch. Could have been better. Okay. Could have just been a little bit better. Just that little extra oomph. An yeah. extra five minutes would have done it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying not to. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a couple of minutes for some news. Um I've got a, a valet that I would like to read out, but I'm look. I'll do it now, and then and then we'll go to your news because I know you have a piece as well. Yep. So, um, beginning of last year, I don't know if you remember, we had a couple of people um, guests on our program, and they were representing the stand up paddleboard community. Oh. Um, and uh, one of the the guests, George Thomas, who was in studio, um, I only realised um, when uh, our long time listener and Triple R subscriber David Turnbull reached out during the week to let me know that. Um, George very sadly passed away in April, so it was a little while ago. Um, But uh, George was amazing. He was a lovely, lovely uh, man and wonderful to have him here as a guest. One of the described as one of the great characters within the Victorian SUP stand-up paddleboard community and most recently president of SUPVIC and had been for many years. And I'm just reading a quote here from uh, his obituary, his passion and enthusiasm for the growth of paddleboarding within Victoria and his positive outlook on life was genuinely infectious to be around. So um, big condolences to George's family and his extended family and friends. Um, Very sad time. Yeah, sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, do, I've got some news just about the changes to the marine regulations. They've just come in this um, June, so this month. Um, I'll just go through a few that may affect you if you're out in your boat. There are jack, uh, changes to the life jacket rules. So it used to be 10 years old and less needed a life jacket. It's now moved up to 12 years old. Okay. So increase of two years. How that can impact adults, though, also is if you're out with just yourself and a solo adult out with children, if they're 12 years and under, you 
are solo classed as, so you have to take a few extra regulations. So you may get caught out with that. Um, marine radio, 27 megahertz is no longer meets the definition of marine radio. You need a VHF radio. And there's uh, quite a few changes to mar- the marine flares regulations, uh, the navigation lights, licensing, and also the refuelling procedures. Too far, too far too many to go into. But log on to transportsafety.vic.gov.au and it's got all the regulations and the changes there. Okay. Are they good? Good changes? Oh, we'll just say really. Yeah, and okay. you just don't want to be caught out because no. it's a hefty fine sometimes if uh, you, you don't tick all the regulations, especially with kids on board too. We'll put a link to that on our Facebook yeah. page, Cabin Boy. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Cabin Boy. Um, yeah, first Cabin Boy diaries. I haven't done one for a while. I've just mm. been in here hanging around, so yeah. I don't know what's going on there. Um, <laughs> foiling. You probably came across that in the 2017 America's Cup. It was the catamarans that were up on the foil. They looked like one of those pond-skimming uh, insects, insects, didn't they? Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Um, they go about 100 kilometres an hour. So that's sail-powered, 100 kilometres an hour. Wow. But there's a lot of technology involved. So um, what they're doing is it's aeronautical. They're actually putting a plane wing under the water. Um, and just like a plane wing, it gives you the lift. So it gets the boat out. And they've also kind of adopted kind of pilot terms. It's actually called flying once they're out of the water on their uh, foils. And there's also called a flight controller who's controlling the flo- foils and all that. So... Um, it's not just m- getting them up out of the water because you've got to Im- imagine these are these boats are fifty foot long and quite uh, weigh a fair bit. It's also balancing it once it's up, so there's quite a few controls. So as I said, there's a flight controller on board for that to balance the foils out, and they've got little aeroloins, I think that's what they're called, underneath the water to balance them out. Okay, so they're always there's always contact with the water. It's not like they're actually airborne. Oh, no, they're always – you often see them crash when they've got too far out and yep. it's cavitated or all that. It's lost the uh, – because that's what's keeping the boat in the water too. Yep. It's lifting it up but it's also stopping it from tipping over. Yeah. Once it cavitates, which gets a bit of air in, it loses the grip on the water and they just fly off. So yep. you've seen quite a few spectacular crashes. And it's not just boats because the, the picture that I've put on our Facebook entry for this week is uh, – it looks like either a surfer or yeah. like a kite surfer, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's – Everything. It's across the uh, all the watercraft are getting into foiling. Um, this year's uh, or next year's America's Cup will be on um, foiling boats. Um, monohulls, they're um, 75 foot long, um, 22 uh, metres long, 6.5 tonnes. So there's a fair bit to get mm. out of the water. It's The interesting thing with them, is, with the America's Cup, they're not allowed to have engines on board. So they've got to use an engine to lift these big foils out of the water. So what they have is guys on bikes pedalling their little asses off to generate enough electricity to go into the batteries to lift the uh, the canting foils in and out of the water. Really? So if you look closely, yeah, you'll see two heads down and uh, there is the big uh, winch that they're using to pull the sails in, but there's another two guys on bikes generating enough electricity. That's, that's so Flintstones. Well, it, it is, but it's just so... It, it's just like a race boat. You could never use it as a cruising boat because they're you know, who would find two crewmen just to be on a bike? So yeah, 
So it's kind of amazing. It's high tech and it's only for racing. Really, it's like a Formula One. You can't come alongside the dock with your big foils out because they are coming out. So uh, yep. it's only for racing, and the, they don't have a keel. So the way they work with their with the America's Cup, they put their their windward foil out, and that's got a bit of weight, so that keeps it down. And then the other foil is pushing up too, so that's getting the riding movement. So it's not the weight, it's the actual pushing up of the foil to keep the boat in line. Okay. Now, as you said, there are also foils on surfboards Mm. um, in uh, little dinghies and also you can get an e-foil board, which is a um, surfboard, but it's got a powered foil underneath. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. There, and I priced them, they're about $20,000. Oh, my God. So, you know, $20,000. But, yeah, so it's got a little battery in it, of course, and there's a jet one and a propeller one. So it pops out of the water, you stand up and you zoom around, it's got a little hand controller, so. Is it kind of like, I'm kind of picturing jet ski meets surfboard, but not really? It's a really thick um, surfboard and quite short. So it's like a kite board because they've yep. also got our foils now too, the kite boards. But you can you can pick up a surfboard. They're about a 1000 bucks. Um, you've got to get a bit of speed up on the wave and then pump it and then it pops out the water. <laughs> and so you can surf the wave and then head back out as long as you keep pumping the board yeah. to keep it up and keep that forward movement going. You don't paddle out. You just head back out again. So Do they make lots of noise? Not the, like not like jet skis. No, I think that's pretty uh, quiet. But the um, the America's Cup is like a yeah, it's an amazing sound because that is slicing through the water at a hundred kilometres an hour. Yeah. So there's a hiss and all that. Um, in the smaller boats, you can get a wasp dinghy, which is about oh, 12, 14 foot long. That's designed. It's single. So the way they control it, if you ever see these dinghies, they've got what's called a wand at the front that drags in the water. And uh, it seems odd to have, but what that does is that as it lifts up, that wand goes forward and then that moves the um, airlines on the uh, on the wing underneath. So okay. it always keeps it at that constant thing. As it drops down, the wand kicks back up and then it changes the angle of the airline so it pops back up again. So, so it's for stability? It's to keep it up out of the water right. so because otherwise it would dive into the water oh, okay. and all that. And they do have a little control on their rudder too because that's also got the foil on the back to keep the uh, the stern up and all that. So you've got to trim. Um, you can buy a Wasp, $24,000 to get uh, into it. I saw a few down Royal Geelong. They had a bit of a competition down there, pretty amazing. Um, and there's also the Moth, which has been around for years. It's a development design series. So... Um, you can probably pick up one of them cheaper, but you've really got to know what you're doing out there. You've got to be a pretty good sailor to actually get it up and then you've got to do the extra bit to get yep. the foiling going too. So it's pretty amazing. But um, I don't know why it seems to have taken off and uh, foiling seems to be everywhere. So, yeah, keep a look out for it and uh, hopefully you understand foiling a little bit better than what I did before I looked at this. Yes. I, cer- I certainly do. <laughs> Fascinating. And, yeah, next year's for America's Cup. That's going to be pretty amazing just for the technology. One question I did have about the America's Cup in, in terms of foils, how do they differ from the wing keel? So that wing keel that was the, the big kind of well, that, secret ingredient to yeah, the 84 America's that Cup. was traditional and they're still kind of 
whether it did anything or not or whether yep. it was just a psychological thing. Um, that was just the traditional boat. So hopefully that may – the wing keel was supposed to give it a little bit of a lift, but there was no way you were going to get that out of the water. The the foils on the uh, America's Cup are on either side and they pop in and out of the water. So it's called a canting foil. So ah. it's not underneath. You can see them out of the water. So it's like wings. As I said, it's just like an insect really when you see them coming yeah. out. Yeah. So, yeah. But next year for the America's Cup. So we'll probably um, – we'll do a something on the America's Cup soon. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Thanks, Cowboy. Yeah, so foiling. Get onto it. Amazing. Thanks. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. We are now going to cross to Flinders for a dive report with Myra Kelly. Good morning, Myra. Good morning, team. How are you all? Yeah, we're good. How are you? <laughs> Uh, I, uh, I'm uh, a little bit windblown um, down here, <laughs> but that, that said, it's um, it's Flinders, and what's not not to love about Flinders? <laughs> um, exactly, what is not to love about Flinders? Let's get into a dive report first. Um, what's what's happening down there? It's very windy. Is it diving today? I suppose that's the big question. Yeah, look, um, Parlo's actually just walked the pier and had a good look. There's a, there is one person on the pier, one lone fisherman at the moment, braving the wind. There are no divers in the water. Um, but Viz, uh, we're looking probably about an easy seven metres Viz on low tide. Oh, wow. Um, and looking at what's been out the back at Mushroom Reef um, and what conditions were yesterday, we're kind of expecting that that viz will probably improve a little bit on the incoming tide. So we're almost on dead low tide now at um, 9.55 is dead low here this morning. So with current conditions, it's, it's you know, if you're really wanting to get in the water today, I'd, I'd probably chance it. That, that, that's the difference, isn't it? Like it's blowing above, it's cold, but once you're underwater, it's a completely different world there. So, yeah, why wouldn't you want a windy day? Well, that, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, um, Paolo jumped out yesterday um, down at Sorrento, did a, a double solo dive um, at Sorrento Back Beach. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's that's the thing, I guess. If you, you know what the conditions, um, you know, how to read the conditions, the water conditions, um, you can find those um, spaces that are tucked away and sheltered um, and, you know, have a, an amazing dive down there. So he was actually joined um, in the water yesterday with some really keen free divers. So a shout-out to Morgan Currajong and Dennis Looch and a, a couple of other people. Um, they they actually stripped down to their speedos <gasps> yesterday, grazed the cold for a bit of a swim before <laughs> pulling their, their uh, weddies on for a free dive. Oh, and my God. Yeah, so you know they had an easy seven to um, seven to ten meters clear viz yesterday, um, and you know hung out with about eight Port Jackson sharks. Wow. There was a, a swell shark, lots of um, large uh, large size um, sea sweep, and he even <laughs> he even managed to bring home a crayfish uh, without a catch bag whilst still taking photographs. <laughs> Minus two fingers. That's multitasking. <laughs> so all, all in all, I think, you know, the people that got out the water yesterday had a, a pretty good time and it's, um, you know, that that's winter diving. You, you, um, you, you make the most of um, what the conditions are and, and it's the adventure and the community and just getting out and having a good time. Now, we've got a couple of minutes left and I, I wanted to um, really spend most of that time talking about this exhibition, um, which we mentioned at the start of the show, um, Vera yeah. Merla. And thanks for letting us know about this because um, I, I didn't know about this one. There's a whole – I know that you've got some other stuff to talk about, um, Mara, but we might save most of it till next week. Did, yeah. did you – 
we'll finish with um, with Vera's exhibition. Did you want to mention quickly, um, I guess this is my question to you, about what's happening with the uh, paid parking pilot that's happening at Flinders Pier, given that you're there right now? Yeah, look, um, I've sort of been touching base with the Flinders Community Association a little bit. Uh, I guess the main thing with this is it's going to be implemented by the Mornington Peninsula Shire Council and it's at a rate of $6.20 per hour and it's going to affect Flinders Pier... Mornington Pier and also Sunnyside Beach. So these are the three pilot um, pilot sites for the program. Um, and I really, really do urge everybody that um, has concerns with regards to this for non-Mornington Peninsula residents to jump on the Mornington Peninsula Shire website, inform yourself, find some more information out, and there's also the ability to respectfully and politely um, express your concerns and objections to the pro- uh, to the pilot program. And with those concerns, that is going to be how the rules and regulations of this pilot program come to be formed. So, um, yeah, I, I really, really do urge everybody to, uh, to jump on board, even if you are a resident, because at the moment there's been nothing mentioned with regards to time restrictions and how that is going to affect people's activities uh, along the coastline, whether that's diving in the water, um, you know, going for long coastal walks, um, spending time with your family um, on the beach, things like that, it it is going to be impacted. So we have, as a community, a way um, and means of now shaping what the rules are that's going to be uh, applied to everybody. So please... We've actually just gone a little bit over time, but I really do want to mention this exhibition. Yep. So, um, yeah, just let us know in about a minute um, <laughs> about, about Vera Merla's exhibition that's on. Um, is it on for a while? Because we can always come back and talk about this one it in is. a bit more detail. It's, it's on until the 3rd of September. It's at the Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery. Uh, it's a beautiful exhibition that is actually in response to the marine life of the Great Southern Reef, uh, and it's a mixture of a mixture of sculptures, paintings, watercolours, collages and drawings. And it's it's absolutely beautiful. Um, I went down there and photographed uh, a lot of Vera's works and I was just captivated and looking at it from different angles, not just, you know, standing on the, you know, at a standing um, angle. I, I was actually at some point almost lying on the ground taking photographs and, um, yeah, the, what she's created is just beautiful. Um, her imagination really has captured the, the colours and the shapes and the textures of what we as divers see below the water um, in the extraordinary and um, biodiverse marine environment that, you know, we immerse ourselves in and not everybody else can can get into to see and experience what we do. So she's created something that's really beautiful and um, I really do urge people to, Go down and have a look at that and, you know, seek your connection with the sea in, you know, in different ways during winter, not necessarily below the waves. Brilliant. Great note to end on. Um, we've already put a link to that on our Facebook page. Um, so there's a, a beautiful, Wonderful. beautiful image um, of, of one of her pieces there. So you can click on that and go through uh, and, and check it out. But we'll talk more about this one in the weeks to come if it's on, uh, particularly because it's on until, until September. Hey, Myra, great, yep. great always speaking with you. And um, Thank have, you. have a great day and breathe some salty air for us and we'll, um, we'll catch you in the next couple of weeks. I will. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks, Myra. Always a pleasure. Chat soon. Bye. Bye. Mara Kelly there down in Flinders where he's blowing the proverbial, well, literal gale. Yeah, well, just driving down here to the station. I'm glad I'm not out in the water today. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. You are listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. Now, this coming Thursday, RMIT presents Everyday Oceans, Surfing, Swimming and Gardening. It is an immersive program of short films that collectively celebrate the Great Southern Ocean. It's on for only one night at the Capitol Theatre and Everyday Oceans highlights the ordinary and profound impacts that everyday interactions with the ocean can have on our lives and the responsibility that we feel in safeguarding its future. To tell us all about it, it's with great pleasure we welcome from RMIT the organisers of Everyday Oceans. Rebecca Olive is Vice-Chancellor's Senior Research Fellow at RMIT's Social and Global Studies Centre and a bunch of other things we'll get to in a moment. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning. And uh, Dr Fiona Hillary, Program Manager, Master of Arts, Art in Public Space, and I know that's only just scratching the surface. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. It's great to have you both with us. Thanks, Thanks. for coming in. Um, now, before we get into the evening you've organised for Thursday at the Capitol, I wanted to spend a couple of minutes talking about what you do at RMIT. RMIT. Um, so, Rebecca, I've had a quick look at your bio. It says that your work explores recreational sport and leisure in everyday life with a particular interest in coastal and ocean ecologies. Um, you focus on various surfing, ocean swimming and sailing cultures, practices and politics. How do we not know about you until now? <laughs> well, I'm still pretty new to Melbourne, still finding my way around, but I'm very aware of Radio Marinara. I was told about it almost as soon as I arrived. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so my work, I'm in feminist cultural studies, which is I mean, sort of do field work like an anthropologist of surfing and swimming and sailing cultures. Um, and I has st- like in the past I've looked at the gender politics of these cultures, but through that slowly became really interested in how these kinds of sports act as a way of how people develop intimacy. And I was listening to you talk, you know, just before about snorkelling and scuba diving as well, do this right really easily. Um, But, yeah, how these sports really shape our relationships to coasts and oceans. And we develop relationships with the animals and plants, with the weather patterns, Mm -hmm. you know, over many years and seasons um, and come to care about them really deeply. And we take sort of the role of sport in how we use oceans very much for granted, but Mm. I would say it's the main way that people experience oceans, like going for a beach walk or, you know, walking the dog and picking up shells or paddling your feet. So when I say the word sport, I'm thinking very broadly about physical activity and like movement cultures, but sport's just really short and neat way to say it. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. So much to talk about. (laughs) But that's it. The more you do it, the more you're around the ocean, the more you care for it too, isn't it? Like... You know, like people that are swimming or that will pick up rubbish on the beach. People that are asked scuba diving will pick up rubbish on the bottom. It's just, yeah. Totally true. And also you have to adapt to the different conditions, yeah. right, because oceans and coasts are very dynamic, so they're not the same all the time. So you have to learn how to manage waves, how to manage sand erosion. Mm-hmm. So I'm from Byron Bay and I was swimming up there when they had that massive erosion event. Um, And the swimmers had to really adapt to that. But they also discovered whole new parts of the bay that, like, I'd never seen in my life before of rock rock formations and kind of um, that I'd never seen because there'd been so much sand, which is good. I hope now the sand's back, so that's awesome. But we saw so many aggregates of animals in different places that you don't usually see. So you see all these changes and learn new things about it and also, um, yeah, what sort of, like, 
ex- being exacerbated by climate change and what's also just a seasonal dynamic of coastal change as well. Um, Fiona, your bio says that you're Melbourne-based artists working in public realm. Your passion lies in site-specific practices and the human-non-human relationships that reveal themselves across time. Human-non-human relationships. I guess to describe that, I'd think about uh, a recent work that I've made around bioluminescence, bioluminescent dinoflagellates. Mm. We are of the ocean. We're not separate to the ocean Every I've, I've been an artist in residence at the Western Treatment Plant through a project called Treatment for quite a few years now. And what we understand about how we live in the world is that when you flush the toilet, when you clean your teeth, when you do your dishes, that water always goes through our treatment facilities that do a great job mm-hmm. and then gets flushed out into the ocean. So we are our DNA is of the ocean. We're not separate to it. We are of it. Mm. And I think my interests lie in... Uh, help, I guess, understanding that we, it's not just a backdrop to our lives. We are of it and it is of us. What I love about it is the fact that when we're talking about human, non-human relationships and the marine environment, most people, myself included, thought um, would immediately go to the charismatic megafauna of whales, dolphins, <laughs> seals, um, and then fish, and then obviously you know, nudibranchs. But, but for you, it's gone to bioluminescent you know, uh, light-creating microorganisms, which is wonderful. (laughs) Very excited to hear that. One of the really interesting things I find about bioluminescence is that we get lost in their awe and wonder. They're Mm. these tiny little microscopic uh, single-celled organisms that science tells us uh, create their glow to ward off predators or to, um, uh, to draw attention to other fish so the food... They don't get eaten, essentially. But actually, I think they're performers. All the scientists in the world will be cringing as I say that right now. They love it. They love performing at the edge of the ocean and yeah. we perform with them. Yeah. But actually what they're telling us is that they love, sec- they love secondary treated water, they love warming water, and they love everything that we're doing that creates climate change to, to bloom. So where they're blooming, we should be alert and pay attention to our care for the ocean, I think. So is that a healthy ocean when they are around? You know, I think we have these pristine notions of the ocean, but actually the ocean is... I was listening to something the other day about the the cables that... that connect us all through the ocean, the shipping industry that brings products and everything we use potentially mm-hmm. comes across the ocean. So we have this notion of the ocean being pristine and natural, but actually we're in it, we're yeah. of it, we are constantly flowing through it. So, yeah, I think... Well, and sport also, because there's so many connections, like I'm just nodding away at everything Fiona <laughs> says, because one of the things I think with sport is it's not just about the relationships we take and the things we're interested in, but it's also about what we leave behind. Yeah. So, you know, as you're talking about all these, um, the way that people are already in the ocean in, in through body fluids in particular, yeah. Yeah. but when we swim, we pee and we might pee out antibiotics and analgesics. We might shed chemicals off mm-hmm. our skin, sunscreen and moisturisers and any swimwear or neoprene that we have leaches chemicals and microplastics. Yeah into the water too. So it's not to horrify anyone about, you know, that, but it's just to be aware that we are part of this exchange every time Mm -hmm. that we're in the water. Now, you're connected by a group called ORCA. What's ORCA? ORCA is a newly formed research group at RMIT 
Ocean Research Climate Action is what it stands for. <laughs> and it's a group of interdisciplinary practitioners. So we're across schools and across colleges working together to think with and through the ocean. Absolutely amazing. So much to talk about. We will come back to this in future shows. I know that already. <laughs> um, let's, let's go straight to Everyday Oceans. So what brought you to create this amazing looking evening? And we'll go through the program in a sec. Well, Fiona and I are always scheming (laughs) and between us are really interested in film and, you know, um, public events. So we thought of having an ocean film night Um, and I, through my work, know a lot of researchers and artists who've made very short films, films that I love and are very meaningful over time and really want to show them because I haven't always seen them shown in Australia. So... I had these four films in mind and approached Fiona if she wanted to work on that and she suggested we also reach out to Great Southern Reef Mm. about some of their beautiful films. Um, So, yeah, we sort of put this together and RMIT was very keen to show it in the Capitol, which is an amazing venue, so we're excited about being able to show it there. And it's kind of a delayed celebration of World Ocean Day. Um, we didn't get the timing right, but next year we will. Got to stretch it out. I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, there's something that concerns me about having all of the attention on one day. There's 365 days in the calendar and why do we spend one day? I mean, we don't. We, we're here yeah. every Sunday. That's exactly but, what we were thinking. Yeah, exactly. It was all part, of, all part of the plan. All right, let's go through the film program. You have six uh, short films of various lengths. Uh, I think the first one is the longest. Oh, no, the last one. First and the last one are the two longest ones. Do you want to go through the program? Well, do you want to talk about the Great Southern Reef films first? Yeah. Sure. sure. They, they we've, we've got about two minutes. Okay. Right. <laughs> so Sea Country and Gardening Marine Forests bookend, as Rebecca said, the films that run between. And essentially they're drawing our attention. Sea Country in, introduce, or I guess introduces us to... Um, to the connection to country and sea country from Indigenous perspectives, going through to gardening marine forests where we get to engage and meet with the the Henyo women who are free divers. Mm. And then the four very short films are by um, Eastgy Britain, um, who's a big wave surfer in Ireland, really Mm -hmm. famous, and she's talking about sea cycles. It's very feminine. (laughs) (laughs) That's Lunar Cycle. Polluted Leisure is by Cliff Evers and James Duvall, who are in Newcastle in the UK, and they're thinking about masculinity, working classness and pollution and surfing. Very performative film. Um, the Water Holds Me, The Water Binds Us is a beautiful watercolour animation of women's wild swimming, so oh, it's a wow. little bit inland as cool. well, um, that's based on research by Charlotte Bates and Kate Moles from Cardiff University. And my favourite is the surf magazines Don't Talk About Lapsed Catholics by an, um, graphic designer Toddy Stewart in, the, um, in New York. Um, and that came out in 2008, and I'm I'm so excited I'm s- to show it here. Oh, really? It's my yeah. favourite surf film ever. That's amazing. What an amazing lineup. And so, in total, about an hour? I think the whole program's Roughly. an hour and a half. Hour yep. and a half? By the time there's a bit of chat. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the great things about it, too, is that proceeds from the tickets, some of the proceeds, will go to the Great Southern Reef. We should all be paying attention to the Great Southern Reef. It runs 7,000 kilometres along our southern coastland, coastline from Brisbane around to Kalbarri. Um, and it, it's in great need of uh, attention, care, to maintain or to increase, to 
restore its biodiversity. Yeah. We had um, Mick Sowery on the program last week talking Brilliant. about Great Ocean Quarterly. The oh. next edition is entirely focused on the Great Southern Reef. And we've been talking about it a bit this year, mm. Kevin Boy. It's kind yeah. of becoming, it's, it's up, sort of yeah. organically becoming our theme. Um, so just some details there. Everyday Oceans, Surfing, Swimming and Gardening happening this Thursday, 29th of June at the Capitol Theatre in Swanston Street. Um, it runs from 6 until 7.30. So great thing to do after work. Um, school holidays, I believe, maybe. Good thing to do as well. And uh, tickets are 5 or $10. So extremely affordable to go along and, and see these wonderful films. Uh, we've already put a link to that on our Facebook page. So you can oh, just, just um, click on that great image by Mick Sarri and it'll take you through to all the details for booking. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having us. Can we just say a special thank you to all the filmmakers, Steph oh. Andrews from the Great Southern Reef yeah. and all the filmmakers that have contributed to making the films what they are. Definitely. Fantastic. Love to have you both in again. So much that we haven't even, we've just scratched, <laughs> scratched the surface. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks. We'll see you again. We've been speaking with Rebecca Olive and Dr Phil, uh, Fiona Hillary from RMIT. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 R. Now, recently, the federal government made an exciting announcement on World Environment Day that Macquarie Island Marine Park would be not only expanded but trebled in size, placing an additional 385,000 square kilometres of Australia's oceans under high protection. Whilst the announcement has been applauded for its efforts to provide protection for a solid chunk of the Southern Ocean, concerns have been raised that the plans fall short of being complete, with fishing activities allowed inside some of the marine park. To tell us about this proposal and concerns that have followed, joining us now from Hobart, we Welcome from the Bob Brown Foundation, Antarctic campaigner, Alistair Allen. Alistair, good morning and uh, welcome to Radio Marinara and to Triple R. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you with us. Um, let's start with a brief description of Macquarie Island. I'm thinking many people listening might have heard of Macquarie Island but might not be familiar with where it is exactly, what's there. Can you tell us a bit about it? Sure. So Macquarie Island is a sub-Antarctic island that lies between roughly halfway between Australia and the Antarctic continent, though it's actually probably closer to New Zealand than Australia. Uh, it's an incredible island. I've actually sailed around it once many, many years ago uh, that's sort of covered in lush green grasses. It's where this, this rock has raised up from underneath the seabed uh, due to the movements underneath the tectonic plates and pushed this island up. Uh, and it's not quite far enough south that it's, that it's you know, frozen a huge percentage of the year. And it's it's far enough north that like all the animals that live there can really thrive and flourish. It's a, it's a it was described by um, uh, Douglas Mawson as a, you know a wonder, and it truly is. It is it's got about four million penguins on this island, and up to eighty thousand elephant seals come and visit this island. It is a what you would describe as a biodiversity hotspot. Wow, amazing. Um, why is Macquarie Island of interest? I think we've really just answered this question, but to the Bob Brown Foundation in particular, I guess in terms of its environmental values and any imminent threats to those ecosystems? Yeah, so my, my role at the foundation is to be the Antarctic campaigner, and that means I'm interested in all things Antarctic. That includes the sub-Antarctic islands. That's not just Macquarie. There's also Heard, McDonald, Crozet, uh, Kerguelen. There's a bunch of sub-Antarctic, South Georgia, which I've recently returned from as well this summer, and uh, all these islands, as I said before, because of where they're placed, they are such incredible biodiversity hotspots that animals, unique animals, for example, Macquarie uh, Island, royal penguins, it's the only place in the world that they breed. So it is crucial that these places are protected. I'd imagine they're pretty pristine at the moment too. 
Yeah, that's right. Because of their their distance, uh, the, you know, nature's own defence there was how far they were from, you know, developing uh, parts of the world, and they, they are relatively pristine. It is always worth remembering with Antarctica, though, that uh, at the turn of the century, whaling and sealing were absolute mammoths of industry. And so these, I really prefer to, uh, prefer to refer to Antarctica and the sub-Antarctica as recovering ecosystems mm, yeah. because mm. whales were absolutely decimated, seals were decimated. So it's coming back now uh, and that's what we need to try and uh, you, you know, keep keep happening. I think that's a really important way to look at this too, that we kind of think exactly like you just said, they're, they're, they're pristine in, in current context but they are still recovering, which takes us to the announcement um, made by Tanya Plibersek on World Environment Day. So I've already sort of mentioned that, that there's the plan for this great expansion. Um, what are the concerns by Bob Brown Foundation and I'm guessing other conservation groups as well about what's been proposed? So the Macquarie Island Marine Park tripling in size is an absolute win for marine conservation and the other conservation groups put in a lot of work to get this done. And I even I commend both them and Tanya Plibersek because really this is what we're looking for in, in, in the sub-Antarctic where this is what th- these places need, it's what the other islands need and it's all on the right track. The unfortunate thing was is there's two Australian fishing companies, which is Austral Fisheries and Australian Longline, and they kind of spat the dummy over this proposal. Despite you often hear from them that, you know, we're green companies and we do everything we can to to look after the environment, but they called this a baseless ocean grab and an attack on a sustainable fisheries. Uh, For me, that is just the tiny part of this puzzle that ruined an otherwise perfect, you know, completed picture. Um, And it wasn't, you know, I'm not laying any charges at conservation groups, nor Tanya. I think Tanya's done an incredible job. Where I am laying the blame is that these two companies that claim to be green are pushing back against the conservation measure, measure, whereas they should be welcoming this. It's not even a, it's not even an important fishery for them. It's a backup fishery to where they, where they fish normally, but they're already, they've just absolutely chucked a wobbly turnover and it, and they're the ones that are ruining an otherwise perfect um, outcome. Were they arguing on principle, do you think? I don't think so. I think what they're arguing on is, is that this is the, the beginning of what they would view as the slippery slope, right? If, if anything where they're not – their biggest problem was that they weren't consulted properly, properly, that they were only involved in the public consultation process. And isn't that telling that industry want, – they want the back door with the minister. They want the, to be able to go in and, and set up the deal before the public has a chance. Now, the public commented on this. And of almost 15,000 submissions, 99% were positive, right? Yeah. And then there's two com- companies that are able to kick up a stink and then all of a sudden, oh, well, we might change it a little bit. And I think it's just very telling of what industry can try and do to conservation outcomes. And so what I ask of those companies is to take on board. If, if they believe that they're like this beautiful, sustainable fisheries and that they're really are champions of the Antarctic and love the place, which anything you read by them, they'll be like, we love Antarctica. Yeah. They should just step away from Macquarie Island, you know, get, you know, step aside on this one. So Alistair, we've got about a minute left. What are you wanting to happen now? What I'd like to see now is more marine parks and more pushes that are happening like this around the Antarctic. I just returned from the Antarctic Peninsula looking at the krill fishery. It's another fishery down there. There was eight super trawlers fishing in a proposed marine protected area. And I think that these are the problems that the Antarctic uh, ecosystem is facing. We've got industry 
ruining a recovering ecosystem as climate change is barreling down the line. The fisheries need to get out. I'd like to see an end to all fishing in Antarctica. Great note to end on, Alistair. It's been great speaking with you. I'd love to catch up with you again to talk more about some of the Bob Brown Foundation campaigns that are underway. We've put a link to that on our Facebook page. Um, So if you just sort of click on on the very obvious link and it will take you straight to a photo of you, actually. (laughs) It'll take you through the Bob Brown Foundation page and you can find out more. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. It's been great speaking with you and love to catch up again my pleasure and i'd love to catch up anytime have a yeah, good one that'd be great thanks thanks alistair bye, bye. for now uh alistair allen there marine antarctic marine campaigner for the bob brown foundation thanks also to rebecca olive and fiona hillary from rmit uh mara kelly our dive reporter thank you kevin boy yeah what wonderful guests we always have don't we yeah They're absolutely amazing show. the wealth of information that comes through the studio doors Just all packed into one hour oh yeah thanks also to rachel uh who has been paneling for us today and david who'll have this program up as a podcast in the next few days. On our program next week, Anth and Farm will be in, catching up with Dave Donnelly about the Phillip Island Whale Festival mm-hmm. and also the filmmakers of Secrets of the C3D. Uh, so exciting show planned for next week already. Uh, stay tuned for Radiotherapy. They will take you through to 11 o'clock when uh, Shane and the Einsteiners will take you through till 12. Have a wonderful Sunday and we will catch you next week for more Radio Marinara. Bye for now. Triple. Ah. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.